this is WTM. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. I ain't drinking up. First, you gotta do the Trump shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W-G-M. Watch this movie. And we're back. This is WTM Watch This Movie, and I am Eric Moulter. You're sorry. Check my shorts, for Christ's sake. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> that voice you hear is Brett, a.k.a. Mr. Positivity. Yep. You and I both watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We did. This is a recently seen episode, and if you remember from last recently seen, we said uh, we were going to... It was a double challenge. Yeah, it was a double movie challenge where we just decided it'd be fun to do a new release... And talk about it a little more in depth with spoilers. Yeah. So it'll be the first movie we talk about without spoilers. Mm. And then we'll talk about a couple more movies each. And then uh, we'll kind of close the show. And then at the end, we'll talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with spoilers. There you go. Do you want to talk about the rating system for any new uh, listeners? We haven't uh, talked about it in a little bit. So Yeah, it'd be nice to uh, remind or... Eh, not remind. We can't remind new listeners. <laughs> well, we'll remind our old listeners, and yeah. then our, we'll inform our new listeners. We have a five-tiered rating system. You can kind of think of it as a five-star rating system, but it's not. But it is, but it's not. <laughs> uh, the top level, the creme de la creme, the best of the bunch, is the ASAP category. Watch this movie as soon as possible. These are classic films, the best of the bunch. Yep. Step down from that is soonish. A lot of great films that just didn't, I guess, quite make the five stars out of five stars, basically. <laughs> great movies. Not much wrong with them at all. Uh, the middle tier is eventually. We deem them to be worth your time. You should see them. And if they are currently in theaters, we recommend that you see it in the theater because it is... Always the best place to watch a film. Hmm. Usually. <laughs> Depending on what's going on in the theater. So eventually soonish, ASAP, those are all recommends. Yeah. Uh, last resort is the fourth category. Movies that didn't make the cut. We didn't deem it necessary for your viewing. There's still some movies in there that we might even like. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, not something you have to go out and see. Sometimes those are more for a niche audience. Yep. Or there's something entertaining about them, but they, they have flaws. Could be guilty pleasures or yeah. could be a movie where you're like, you know, it's not too bad, but maybe it just wasn't for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you look at movies in those categories, uh, in that category, you might still find some that you like. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. The bottom tier is the dreaded never category. Watch this movie never. Yes. Worst of the worst. Basically, nothing redeemable about it. Do not bother. Yep. So it's, uh, I guess, uh, to kind of sum it up, it's more ranking on 
how you should prioritize your viewing schedule. Like if you're going to watch a movie, should you watch, you know, you want to start with the ASAPs and then the soonish and then eventually. Mm-hmm. And then if you're just want something in the background or something, maybe you go a last resort or if you're looking for something you don't necessarily have to pay that close attention to. Yep. Um, Flip it through TV. Yep. So it's, it's on cable. Ah. It's not necessarily on the quality of the film, although the higher up on the list, you know, the the higher quality the film usually is. But mm-hmm. like I said, it's more on based uh, about around how you should prioritize your viewing. Yes. So let's uh, let's get into it. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Well, we both saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, good for you. And how was it? Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed it. As did I. Let's get to the details here. This movie just came out. Today is Saturday. Was it 28th today? 27th. 27th. It says on your phone right there. Well, not right now. If I <laughs> clicked it off, clicked it back on, maybe. No. It says uh, on your computer right there. No, it doesn't. The fuck is Apple doing? <laughs> uh, so, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Maya Hawke, Austin Butler, uh, Sidney Sweeney, Dakota Fanning, Margaret Qualley, Timothy Oliphant, Al Pacino, Harley Quinn Smith, that would be Kevin Smith's daughter, uh-huh. as Maya Hawke is Ethan Hawke's daughter and Uma Thurman. Margaret uh, Qualley is Andy McDowell's daughter. Yes. Kurt Russell is also in here, along with Luke Perry, his last film appearance. Uh-huh. R.I.P. Luke Perry. Kate Berlant, Emil Hirsch, Damian Lewis. He played Steve McQueen. Yeah. Michael Madsen. Uh, Rumor Willis, Bruce Willis's daughter. I didn't recognize her when I saw her, I guess. Yeah, apparently a lot of the uh, Manson family is made up of big Hollywood people's kids. Mm-hmm. Bruce Dern is in here. Scoot McNary, Clifton Collins Jr., Zoe Bell. That's about it. Synopsis. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. So this movie's about two hours and 40 minutes or so. Yeah. And I think you do feel the length a little bit. I usually don't really give a shit about length of movies, especially for Quintons, because I mm-hmm. you know, like them so much. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I want to spend as much time with these characters as I can, because they're right. so fun. Right. And for the most part, that is what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that, there was a point where I was like, it's kind of dragging just a little bit. But- I I thought that um, at the point where I started feeling that is kind of the point where they picked it up again, though, mm-hmm. yeah. like where, the, where the big action happens um, towards the end of the movie. So other than that, like I thought they did a good job of and like if you go in knowing that, OK, it's it's more of a character study of the and you figure out pretty quickly if you're paying mm-hmm. attention that. It's a character study of um, Rick Dalton, faded former TV cowboy, trying to keep his acting job alive, mm-hmm. or you know, act, acting career alive, and 
his doesn't lead, want to be a has been. His leading man hopes and all that stuff, and you know, it's DiCaprio's character. Yeah, right. And then it's about him and the relationship between him and Brad Pitt's character, his uh, stunt man, who is more like a, a valet now. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like Django. <laughs> yeah. And so I th- I thought they did a good job of bringing you into his kind of uh, story about, you know, what he's been doing lately, how he's been, you know, trying to keep going with his career, the types of things he's trying to do to stay in the in the limelight. And then they, they intersperse a few different flashbacks within that, too, mm-hmm. that are pretty entertaining. Yeah, the performances are great in here. Everyone's on point. Very funny. The sets are incredible, how he transforms L.A. into 1969 L.A. Yeah. Like, there really weren't any noticeable anachronisms that I caught on. Mm. There's so much of the movie that is just people driving around. <laughs> That's A lot of Brad Pitt scenes are him driving from one side of town to the other, <laughs> listening to the radio. Yeah, And I love how he, he does this in a lot of movies that he does where... Like, the radio is a character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, like... K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s. Yeah, I forget what the station was in this one, but mm-hmm. um, they're playing all the hits of the day, and, you know, you kind of know where, how long uh, Brad Pitt's been in the car based on what song is playing. Because yeah. they, they cut, and then it's a new song, and they cut in his new song. and Yeah, Tarantino always known for having great soundtracks, and this one did not this, disappoint. Yeah, for sure. The dude that played Bruce Lee was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, the little girl, the little method acting girl yeah. from the pilot that uh, Rick Dalton is shooting was amazing too. Mm-hmm. Like I really liked her character. But yeah, the dude sitting next to me in the theater walked out about, what, two hours in or so. And uh, right at that point where I I thought, okay, this is starting to drag a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then he never came back. And, like, I hope he regrets it. I hope hope somebody says to him, hey, dude, did you see that movie? He's like, yeah, it was so boring. I walked out. I was like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because it really picks up in the last last act. Yeah. My theater was loving the last act, as was yours, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of oohs and ahs and a lot know, of laughing, laughing. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very hilarious final act. Yeah, once upon a time, I would say I definitely liked it better than Hateful Eight. I would agree with that, and I probably like it better than uh, Death Proof. But that's about it, I think. I probably like all of his other movies. More than this. Yeah, it's not one of his better ones, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to top yeah. fucking t- Quentin Tarantino movies, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah, I would rate this movie a soonish. Soonish. I agree with soonish. I, I, I think it's definitely a great movie, um, but not one of his, uh, his top ones, but again... Hard to fucking top what uh, his filmography is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I was just slightly disappointed because I was thinking or hoping this would be my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. Which would have been, you know, an ASAP category mm-hmm. type film. 
I think my favorite is still uh, Glorious Bastards, followed by Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, probably. Reservoir Dogs is your favorite? Reservoir Dogs is my favorite. Uh, I'd probably put Pulp Fiction second. Uh, Maybe Django third. Okay. Jackie Brown's up there for me. Yeah, Django as well. I mean, they're all so close. Yeah, I needed to rewatch Inglorious Bastards because I, I had the wrong mi- mindset the first time I watched that. And I think I'll probably appreciate it more second time. Mm-hmm. Especially after seeing this. <laughs> like this one, I, I... People who have seen it will know what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, I, uh, I know what I'm getting into with this one. <laughs> like, I, I think the marketing was better for this one than for Inglorious Bastards. I think they made it look like it was too much of a action film and it really isn't. Yeah, I was able to skip most of the TV spots and marketing. I mean, I saw the trailers when they came out, but that's about it. Avoided most of it. I I knew it had gotten good ratings around Tomatoes, but I didn't really read much into it. I had seen the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably six or seven times Mm -hmm. in the theater because the MC would show it ad nauseum. But, you know, they cut it in a way that it really didn't spoil much. You know, yeah. but it gave you a good idea of what the movie was going to be about. I don't. You might not have noticed this since you avoided most of the trailers, but a lot of the cuts they used in the trailer were different than what they used in the movie itself. Yeah, I was specifically thinking of uh, Leo dancing with the kind of the Go Go Girls type yeah. of that music scene, like that. And the trailer is not in the movie. There's a scene of it, but yeah, it's a different yeah, yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the entire scene with uh, Pacino and and uh, Leo from the beginning of the movie is different takes than mm-hmm. what they used in the trailer, which I find refreshing sometimes because then it's like, oh, I have I actually haven't seen it. I know I it, it's it's kind of good and bad because I it's good in that it's fresh and you're like, okay, they didn't spoil it in the trailer, but then it's like. Oh, I've seen the trailer so many fucking times. It seems weird that they're using a different take in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but definitely uh, appreciate that they they went uh, the way they did. All right, uh, I saw a screening of a 2016 film last night called Shin Godzilla, Japanese film, directed by. Now this is where it gets tricky. <laughs> uh. Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi, starring Hiroki Hasegawa, Yutaka Takanuchi, Satomi Ishahara, Ren Osugi, Yun or Jun Kunimura, and that's about all the names I'm going to attempt. You ever have that? Word you can't get? Synopsis. Japan has plunged into chaos upon the appearance of a giant monster. Surprise. That's the whole synopsis. Spoilers. <laughs> so I... Oh, shit. I thought you was locked up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've even seen a real Godzilla movie. I did see the 98 Broderick, Roland Emmerich Godzilla <laughs> in theaters. I know I've seen uh, a few scenes here and there, but I don't know if I've ever seen a whole Godzilla movie either. I think I might have seen one or two, like on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay. I'm not sure if they've done Godzilla, or maybe they just did Godzilla knockoffs. I can't remember. 
Yeah, it's but a, there's. You I know, think there's, they might have done a few of the sequels. There's got to be fifty Godzilla movies. Oh, there's a shit ton of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never really been big into Godzilla. Don't care about the new ones. Probably won't ever see them. Yeah. I'd heard good things about this. Apparently, it swept the Japanese awards, kind of their Oscars. Okay. So I guess it's held in high regard in their home country. Yeah, there's a lot of political social commentary. Mm-hmm. Kind of talking about bureaucracy and red tape and how that's such a detriment to solving problems. Because <laughs> <laughs> this movie's I was telling you earlier, it's the fastest slow-paced movie I've ever seen. Yeah. There's so much quick cutting. It's jarring at first. There's so much talking. And everyone's debating what needs to be done. You know, this monster comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone's freaking out. People are dying. Things are getting destroyed. And there's all these fucking meetings with <laughs> bureaucrats and politicians and what needs to be done. We should exterminate it or no, we should try and capture it live. And we can't exterminate it here because there's too much uh, civilian life would be lost. And yeah. So many things to debate. It was one of the options to build giant robots to fight it, <laughs> to fist fight it. No, <laughs> they didn't have enough time. They need two people to operate it. Yeah, this is uh, one of those movies I think I appreciated more than I enjoyed. Okay. I probably wouldn't watch it again. But I thought it was very well made and made some good points about politics and social commentary and whatnot. I will give it an eventually. Eventually. My next movie is from 1992. And it's called Ladybugs. I haven't seen this since I was a kid. So I don't remember shit about it, basically. Soccer is involved. I know that. When they talk about movies that you couldn't make in 2019... (laughs) This is what they're talking about. Isn't that any Rodney Dangerfield movie? Talk about Ladybugs. This one especially, I think. Uh, it was directed by Sidney uh, J. Fury. Uh, stars Rodney Dangerfield, Jack A. Harry, uh, Jonathan Brandis. You might know as Stuttering Bill from the original uh, It miniseries. Okay. Uh, Eileen Graff, Vanessa Shaw. Tom Parks, Janetta Arnett, that's probably all the, oh, Blake Clark is in there, dude from all those uh, Sandler movies, <laughs> who's uh, Sean's dad on Boy Meets World, okay, Nancy Parsons, I don't know, if, Tommy Lasorda makes a cameo, he's also the uh, dad in American History X, I haven't seen that in probably 15 years, he's the firefighter that got killed, but he's in the flashback scene when they're Discussing affirmative action at the dinner table. Okay. <laughs> He's in a lot of shit. He dies a lot. Uh, synopsis. To climb the corporate ladder to success, a guy agrees to coach the company's all-girl soccer team with the help of his secret weapon, his fiance's son. So, yeah, Ronnie Dangerfield is trying to kiss his uh, boss's ass to get a, a promotion. And like I said, uh, he gets kind of roped into coaching the girls' soccer team that the company uh, sponsors because his boss's wife is super into it and she wants, you know, to win. So he says, if you win the championship, I'll give you the promotion. And it just so happens that the boss's daughter is on the team and the rest of the team is brand new, has never played soccer before. So 
He convinces his fiance's son to to join the team and pretend to be a girl. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield basically basically does shtick through the whole movie, which is pretty hilarious. There's a couple scenes where they kind of make jokes about pedophilia, which uh, and they they kind of laugh at it. Mm-hmm. So they're funny, but they're uncomfortable looking at them through uh, modern eyes. But you know, there's a lot of shit uh, that you know is just pretty outrageous. Like I said, Ronnie Dangerfield basically does his shtick through the whole thing. The moral, not to spoil anything, but the moral is that boys are better at sports than girls. <laughs> so, yeah, take it as what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to interject, but I have to correct myself. I misunderstood who you're talking about from Boy Meets World. You said Sean's dad, right? Yeah. I thought you were talking about, in my head, I was picturing Corey's dad. Oh, no. Which is, because I was like, he's in Adam Sandler movies? He is the dad in American History X, but he's not in Adam Sandler movies like oh, Blake Clark is. That's why I didn't. Yeah. I think he's the dad in uh, Fifty First Dates. Yep. Mm-hmm. That guy. Yep. He's the mumbling coach from uh, The Water Boy. Yeah. I was thinking of William Russ. Oh, okay. Who's Alan Matthews. That's weird that he was in American History X because that's <laughs> kind of against type. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Proceed. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's uh, Ladybug's a pretty fucking ridiculous movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very politically incorrect. So take that into account when you're when you're thinking about watching it. If you're a big Ronnie Dangerfield fan, I'm sure you've already seen it, or you know you should see it. But I'll give it a, a last resort. All right, it's a last resort. Oh, what the hell? I I watched a movie. A little while ago, I bought it cheap on Blu-ray. Backdraft. <laughs> I had seen it as a kid, but not in the 20-some years since then. I've heard a lot about it, but I've never seen it. came out in 1991. Directed by Ron Howard, starring Kurt Russell, William Baldwin, Robert De Niro, Donald Sutherland, Jennifer Jason Lee, Scott Glenn, Rebecca De Mornay. Jason Gidrick, J.T. Walsh, Jack McGee. You're sorry. Check my shorts for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, Mark Wheeler. Uh, Clint Howard. He's in there. He's got to be in his brother's movies. Does he? <laughs> I'm surprised he's in there. That's Is that the last one? Ron's like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I've seen The Wraith. Never again. (laughs) I didn't recognize you with the hair. Uh, Synopsis. Two Chicago firefighter brothers who don't get along have to work together while a dangerous arsonist is on the loose. So what's really confusing about the first part of this movie is there's a young Kurt Russell or Mm. there's another actor that plays, you know, like a 10-year-old Kurt Russell. Oh, God. And his dad. That'd be weird if Kurt Russell played 10-year-old Kurt Russell. (laughs) Yeah. And Kurt Russell plays his dad. Oh. Because <laughs> the dad dies in a fire in the first part of the movie. The, so the, you see Kurt Russell die. <laughs> and then the kid grows up and he's Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds super confusing. <laughs> he's one of the brothers that they're talking about. Wow. But uh, this movie was a big hit back in the day. Um, it was all the rage. Big blockbuster. Ron Howard. Backdraft. 
Now, there's a lot of melodrama in here. Hmm. Too much so. Kind of drags the movie down. There's some cheesy stuff. But there's still some good performances. Robert De Niro is in here. He's pretty good. There's a serial arsonist who's basically killing all these people with the fires. Hmm. He's they're pretty elaborate fires and you know, they're trying to figure out who it is and so it's kind of a cat and mouse game. They're investigating the fires and you know, there's melodrama at the firehouse because who's sleeping with who and <laughs> that type of a thing. So that kind of drags it down a bit. But I will say it does have incredible cinematography with the set pieces, all the actors being in real fires. Hmm. It's crazy the stuff they did with real fire. Jesus. Like uh, it's considered kind of revolutionary how they shot fires, you know. Okay. Nobody really does this kind of shit anymore. It's all CGI fire and whatnot. Yeah. And they don't want real actors getting that close, but you could tell they're really in the fires and they are really sweating. They didn't hmm. spray some water on their face right before they <laughs> said action. Some of the, the stunts and the set pieces with the fire is incredible. Hmm. But uh, so, I mean, if you're looking for <laughs> cool stunts, you know, check this out. I mean, I'd watch it again, but I wouldn't say it's required viewing, so I'll just give it a last resort. All right. It's a last resort. It's the last film you're going to talk about. It's another monster box office smash from the 90s. Mm-hmm. 1993's Cliffhanger, which stars our boy Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, it's somewhere to say we got to knock out those Sylvester movies. Uh, directed by Rennie Harlan, starring... Our boy Sly, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker, Janine Turner, Rex Lynn, Caroline Goodall, Leon. Yeah. Y'all know Leon. Wasn't he in uh, Cool Runnings? <laughs> Probably. With Dougie Doug. Yeah. I don't know why he doesn't have a last name. He played Little Richard in two, uh, 2000's Little Richard. He was in The Temptations. He was in Cool Runnings. Yep. In uh, the same year, 1993. Uh, Craig Fairbrass is there. Uh, Gregory Scott Cummins. Dennis Forrest. That's probably about it. Paul Winfield's in there. And Ralph Waite. His brother Dave was a great signing by the Twins. (laughs) He's a hometown guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, synopsis, a botched mid-air heist results in suitcases full of cash being searched for by various groups throughout the Rocky Mountains. I don't know if Dave and Paul are brothers. i just joking. I think uh, Paul is considerably older. No. He is quite old in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had heard about Cliffhanger a lot when it came out. and then you Remember when you were like seven? You are like... This movie's the shit, I hear. <laughs> but you wouldn't have said shit because that's not allowed in your household. I would have said this movie looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> that seven-year-old you would have thought it looked cool. No. Yeah. I was there. And I, a wrestling fan, not, you know, pumped about a Sylvester Stallone action movie. I was there and like, I don't give a shit about rock climbing. So. <laughs> <laughs> silly. Plus, everybody was it's just... It's not rock climbing. It's rock hanging. Everybody was making fun of it so much. I'm like, that must be a dumb movie. 
and I was kind of right. But I didn't, obviously, I didn't know, uh, I had no idea what this movie was about for the longest time. I didn't even look up the synopsis before I watched it. I just know <laughs> it's called a cliffhanger, and there's always a picture or a scene of Stallone hanging from the edge of a, a rock face upside down. What if the movie ended unresolved? Wouldn't that be meta? Hope there's a cliffhanger too. I'm surprised. I it. need to know what happens. I'm kind of surprised you didn't. <laughs> but yeah, for some reason John Lithgow has a, a weird British accent, which I couldn't figure out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a plane heist that uh, Christopher Nolan redid in The Dark Knight Rises. Well, much more successfully. <laughs> I, I, I'd say. <laughs> uh. So yeah, most of the movie is to be fair, any plane to plane heist <laughs> looks a lot cooler when you have uh Hans Zimmer's score behind it. <laughs> this is true. Especially when you don't crash both planes and you actually <laughs> pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the movie is uh Michael Rooker is uh Michael Rooker and Stallone uh and uh what's her name? The woman that I read. Janine Turner are like uh, mountain rescue and Michael Rooker gets kind of taken by these terrorists to go find the cases that they dropped out of the airplane because they all got tracking devices on them. But they need a, a guide to bring them up the mountains. And then Stallone and Janine Turner end up having to go and try to rescue Michael Rooker. Stallone gets his jacket taken at one point and he says, you got to give him his jacket. He's going to freeze to death. And then he spends half the movie uh, wearing a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. So it's really, really cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a a lot of just ridiculous stuff happens. John Lithgow is super over the top as the, the main villain. So, you know, I'd I'd give it a last resort. It's a last resort. Just know that it's not a very smart movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here it goes. This is a challenge. So you have to challenge me to watch a movie. Yeah, I'm going to challenge you to watch a movie. It's currently on Shudder and on Showtime. Okay. I watched this movie two years ago and it's a like a spoof or a parody of 1980s slasher fraternity slash sorority movies should be right up my alley it's called dude bro party massacre three i remember you liking it when you talked about it on the show and i've heard other good things about it as well so yeah i'm looking forward to it so i think you'll like it it's um, actually on my list on shutter and it's uh i I'm hoping that I can pick up a little more of the references the second time around because we we did the uh, Slumber Party Massacre movies mm-hmm. and I have a feeling that it probably references those since it's so similarly titled. Yeah. But yeah, it's the, the premise is it's this long lost movie that was banned from distribution. It's the only copy left in existence mm-hmm. and it's... Uh, you should also point out that there is no Dude Bro Party Massacre 1 or 2. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. 
However, they do the fun. they do recap it in the in the beginning of the movie. Okay, so that's cool. So it's that's part of the the camp of it is mm-hmm. you know they act like it's a sequel, but it's it's really just a spoof. So yeah, um, we'll see what you think about it. All right. Before we get into spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we'll just sign off by saying please rate and review. That would help out the show, and subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Run a bunch of those podcast apps. Mm-hmm. Search for us. You will most likely find us. Uh, check out our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com. You can email us at WatchThisMovie at Yahoo.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at WatchThis underscore movie and Brett at PositivelyWolf1. You can get some cool swag. Help out the show uh, by going to Teespring.com slash stores slash WTMWatchThisMovie. We would sure appreciate it. All right. What follows contains spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Spoiler alert. So the last act is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sure was. I can't believe that dude fucking walked out and didn't come back. Because he left once they started doing the voiceover, you know, and Kurt Russell was uh, Mm -hmm. explaining what they did in Italy for six months. And I'm like, okay, this guy's going to the bathroom. So now he's going to block my view when he comes back. And then he just never came back. <laughs> like, dude, you fucking missed out. But yeah, that last uh, that last act was fucking bonkers. Yeah, the violence. You know, there wasn't much violence in this movie. There's the Bruce Lee scene. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is a, I knew something like that was going to happen. I was like, he's just going to whoop Bruce Lee's ass. <laughs> I, I love that scene because Bruce Lee's just... Sitting there talking about, I admire Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston because what they do is actual combat. It's beyond <laughs> athletics. They actually go in there and try to kill each other. Unlike these martial arts competitions, it's more like a dance. <laughs> I would cripple Muhammad Ali in a real fight. <laughs> Red Pitt just laughs and basically shit talks him. <laughs> I've heard that's, you know, that's a bit jarring. You know, I've seen a couple of Bruce Lee movies. I don't know everything about him, of course, but I've heard that it is, he kind of was a bit cocky and boisterous, I guess. At least some people allege behind the scenes, you know. Well, there's always uh, the uh, the legend of him actually having street fights and stuff. They had that, uh, that movie that came out, uh, was it last year or the year before? Was it The Birth of the Dragon? WWE produced it. Okay, but it was like the the legend behind like uh, a street fight he had with this other guy, this other kung fu fighter to see, you know, if Bruce Lee's kung fu was legit or if mm-hmm. the other guy's was was better. I never actually saw that movie, but it was like one of those things that you know, like, oh my god, Bruce Lee's, you know, he could kick anybody's ass. You know, he's five four, hundred twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. Talk about. Kicking the heavyweight champions ass. <laughs> but uh, the dude that played Bruce Lee was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that character. And it was fitting for the time. You know, this is Quentin's revisionist history, but there is a lot of factual things. Right. Because it's very close things. He used to it was help on, out with fight scenes, martial arts scenes. But that was also on the set of the Green Hornet, where he was Cato. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... so well, he was just calling him Cato, I think, to shit talk him. No, that was on the 
set of the TV show The Green Hornet, and he played the character Cato in The Green Hornet. But the the scene with Brad Pitt, you're saying, is on The Green Hornet set? Yeah. Because that was a flashback, because they're like, because when he gets dropped off at the... the I thought it could have been a flash forward, like he knew what would happen if he went there. No, I, I think it was a flashback, because, you know, he, he drops him off, he drops... Uh, Rick Dalton off at the the filming for his mm-hmm. new pilot, and he's like, "Hey, do you need a stuntman?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "No, it's that dude from the Green Hornet." And then they're like, replaying back what happened, what what the situation was, why the guy from the Green Hornet doesn't like uh, Brad Pitt's character, Cliff. And that was the scene with Bruce Lee. It was because mm-hmm. one, because he killed his wife Natalie on a boat with a harpoon. Yeah. <laughs> Which, he's probably in international waters. That's why he got away with it. <laughs> Which happened to another actress named Natalie just a, maybe a decade after that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, he fucking threw the star of the Green Hornet into the side of the, the uh, stunt coordinator's wife's car. Yeah. So that's how it makes more sense now because he did say. They were mad because it was like he's the star of the show. You can't beat up the star. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. However, he did help out with uh, martial arts in films in the 60s. Yeah. And uh, he also shared a special connection to the Manson murders. He was friends with Polanski and Tate and whatnot. And for a short while, Polanski actually thought Bruce Lee might have murdered Sharon Tate and her friends. Interesting. There's an article about it. It was on Yahoo again yesterday, but I had read it months ago. Okay. The connection was, if I remember correctly, that there was a pair of sunglasses that the killers left behind hmm. at Sharon Plansky and Tate's house. And not too long after the murders, Lee was with Polanski and he was commenting about how he lost his sunglasses. Oh. And so he's like, oh, shit. That and I think they, they kind of went into it. And then I think pretty quickly there afterwards, they're like, yeah, it wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they did have a, a scene where, uh, so uh, Sharon Tate's at the theater watching her, her movie, The Wrecking Crew. And there's a scene in the movie that she's watching in the movie mm-hmm. um, of her doing some, uh, you know, karate fighting. And then she's remembering her, uh, lessons with Bruce Lee. Yep. So they did kind of incorporate that. I counted no less than four scenes of bare feet. Yep. A lot of feet in here. <laughs> Mostly out of focus, but Mostly they were dirty there. feet. They were even, very even dirty. Even Sharon Tate's, I was like, she's wearing boots. <laughs> and she takes them out in the movie theater, and yeah. they're dirty as fuck. I guess she doesn't, uh, I don't know. I guess her boots are dirty? I don't know. On the inside? They were immaculate on the outside. Yeah. Cause, I mean, I guess then she walks around a lot barefoot, which I can see, because she was a bit hippie-ish, you know? Well, at the end, she was barefoot and pregnant. Yeah. Can we say that still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's literally what it, it was? Well, if you don't follow it with white trash, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> she did not stay in the kitchen, though, so what is that going for? Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, what else happened? The little girl. What What was that? Bi- she was reading a biography. I forget what the fuck she was reading. But, like, Rick Dalton felt so, like, emasculated by her. 
<laughs> and her her theories on acting and, and she puts everything acting. into it and he basically puts nothing into it because he's just drinking and smoking all day he just shows up yeah he's like i'm lucky if i remember my lines mm-hmm. you know but it's because he practices them while he's drinking <laughs> in a pool well then that book that he was reading i i almost thought that you know the description. I don't. I couldn't tell if he was describing the book itself or himself. Like maybe he was using it as a a way to try to explain like his situation to her. Yeah. You know where you know I used to be the top guy, the the Bronco Buster, and then I, you know, mm-hmm. I fell off my horse, and now I, you know, I'm not as good. Yep. Haven't you in twenty years? What? <laughs> <laughs> El Pacino was kind of funny. I love that with the. <laughs> with love the, the shooting, the killing. With the killing. Lots of killing. <laughs> it's Schwarz. Not Schwartz. It's Schwarz. Yeah, Musso and Franks is, a, is kind of one of my bucket list uh, things I want to do. Go to Musso and Franks and have a drink or eat something. Hmm. Very famous restaurant. I believe that's where they were at. They, there was a shot of a side of Musso and Franks. Okay. And it's kind of where all the Hollywood people would go to eat. Like you'd go there and especially in the 50s and 60s, you'd go and, oh, look, there's fucking Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin over there. And, yeah. You know, here's Cary Grant over there. And even before that, like I think the Marx Brothers used to eat there and Chaplin. And this is very legendary for at least back in the day, like, you know, Hollywood people eating there. Yeah. They still do to this day, but I don't think it's not as prevalent. You know, people got their own shit going on yeah should we talk about the uh scene at the the movie ranch yeah that's pretty good the manson family love when he beats the fuck out of tex <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't tex it was that oh yeah dude. not the the like the ranch hand basically and, uh, it, he was just chilling with uh, dakota fanning he was one of those guys yeah he decided to go slash a tire but i thought they kept saying oh go in the it's like, I want to go check on George. Is he still on the ranch? I'm like, yeah. Like, can I go see him? No. Why not? He's uh, he's a napping. It's impossible. <laughs> I kept on saying it's impossible. He's like, I'm going to go in and say hi to George. <laughs> I'm going to go now. I thought for sure he was going to get it. Like, I thought there's no George. I just thought George would be dead. Uh, yeah, either George is dead or he's not there. And they're going to fucking just ambush him once he gets in that back room. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to happen. I was super surprised that George was there. Well, Bruce Dern is getting pleasured by Dakota Fanning every night <laughs> after FBI's done. He's really tired. I fucked his brains out this morning. <laughs> she just says it matter of fact. <laughs> I read that that was supposed to be um, Burt Reynolds' role. Okay. Was George. Okay. Yep. I knew there was... He was supposed to be a uh, owner of a ranch. Yeah, makes and sense now. He didn't really, because I remember we talked about it when the the rumor kind of th- came out, mm-hmm. or when he was cast, and I was like, I don't really understand what that entails. Mm-hmm. A ranch in 1969, L.A. What are yeah, you about? it entails being a old blind man in bed trying to get a nap in before <laughs> FBI comes on. <laughs> Yeah, the scene at the end was so funny. I mean, he's he's so good at building up tension. Oh yeah, 
And so, I mean, half the job for him this time was done for him because people know the story. They know Sharon Tate's supposed to be, her friends are supposed to be murdered. Right. So you're like, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Here we go. <laughs> it's, oh, it's the date. It's August, was it 8th or 9th of yeah. 1969? Here it is. They all go to, and I was telling you earlier, like, a lot of that setup to that final scene was very similar to the movie The Wolves at the Door, which is like an unofficial Manson murder uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like them going to the Mexican restaurant, and then the street looked virtually the same with the, the family coming up and walking up to the door. And yeah. But then like once they pull up in their car <laughs> and fucking Rick Dalton comes out and yells at them, like everything was different from there on. Mm-hmm. Which was pretty. Everybody loved that. Like fucking hippies get that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I thought Rick Dalton was gonna get it right there. Was that Jack Cahill? <laughs> <laughs> Back in the fifties, there was a show called uh, Bounty Law. <laughs> Did you see Quentin's gonna direct episodes of Bounty Law? Do it for Netflix. No, I didn't. He's even... talking about he wrote like four. Full episodes for the movie. Oh yeah, to shoot different scenes from the movie, and he said he liked the idea of creating like a half-hour show, or it'd be a little less than half hour, of course, because commercials. But hmm. you know, making you know, a beginning, middle, end, full, full story and plot. Yeah, in that amount of truncated time, and so he said he's um, looking to do it as a, a series. He said probably on Netflix because he just released that Hateful Eight. Extended Hateful Eight on Netflix. Oh, yeah. As uh, like four episodes, maybe? Three, oh, did he? Like three, four episodes. Yeah, there's an extended Hateful Eight where he puts in a bunch of more footage. It's four hour long, basically little episodes. Maybe not full hour because the movie is three hours and I'm not sure how much footage he puts in, but maybe it's like four 50 minute episodes or something. Yeah, I didn't realize they, uh, they cut it into episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And That'd so he's, yeah, he's thinking about doing that as a, as a series, not like a long one. He's like, I doubt very much that Leo's going to do it. So <laughs> I'll probably have someone else yeah. portray Jack Cahill. But, um, cause he also talked about people are asking him, you know, like, well, this is weird. You know, he has directed television in the past. He directed an episode of CSI and something else. I forget. Hmm. But, um, yeah, he thought hateful eight worked out as, well as a series and extended cut he said uh, he wouldn't do it for Django Unchained although he said he was working on an extended like director's cut oh. for Django Unchained interesting so, yeah something uh, maybe a blu-ray would come out in a year or two maybe yeah but um, yes yeah, so that'd be weird if you did <laughs> Bounty Law on Netflix for like six episodes it would be he said he's gonna write another couple episodes and make like six hmm it was cool seeing Michael Madsen in there. Yeah. In the the bounty law. He's perfect for that. It was great. But yeah, let's uh let's talk about that final scene though. Like so they pull up in their loud ass fucking car. Mm-hmm. Rick Dalton reads of the right act. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, This is a fucking private road. What the fuck? <laughs> Gets him he doesn't even let him turn around. He's like, back your ass up. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and then they have the conversation, like, was that Jack A. Hill? Like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and then they decide. Ethan Hawke's daughter leaves. Yeah, they decide they're going to kill 
the people that taught them to kill because they grew up with TV and other than I Love Lucy, everything was about murder or mm-hmm. killing people. Yep. And so they're like, we're going to kill the pigs that taught us to kill. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know. And Meanwhile, Brad Pitt's tripping out on acid. <laughs> he's smoking the acid dip cigarette that he bought from <laughs> Pussycat earlier. <laughs> Just been sitting in Leo's house for about eight months now, or six months at least. Mm-hmm. Taking the dog out. It was pretty hilarious when he finally realizes that he's tripping and like he's watching his hand go <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> I think some people in the theater took a, a little bit to figure that one out. So funny when they they all bust in knives and he has a gun and he's just fucking laughing his ass off. <laughs> it's like, are you real? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. <laughs> he just laughs at his face. Yeah, he said he was the devil and he was there to do some devil shit or something or other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the dog, the loyal dog, just waiting the whole time. That bit. The recurring bit with the dog food is pretty funny. Yeah, the sound effects for that, and the I guess the just the sliminess of it was hilarious. Oh, uh, there's so much dog food too. He gives him two full cans and then just dumps and dry kibble, dog food. <laughs> dumps kibble on top of it. So does he have one meal a day? So you just load it up? Probably. It was hilarious because the dog food in the can was like rat flavored and raccoon flavored. <laughs> but he uh. That dog is, oh my God, I didn't realize it was uh, trained to attack because that fucking dog is vicious. <laughs> oh my God. When so funny when uh, Brad Pitt just started slamming that girl's head into the fucking fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> just smashing her face on anything that'll smash. And then he does it through the coffee table a couple times and he's like, oh, I guess I'm done. <laughs> In a time currently, still the Me Too movement, you know, not showing much violence towards women on the big screen. People are very much against that. Quentin's found a way to portray it in a way that everyone's on board. Right. (laughs) Like people were almost cheering for it. Like there's a lot of people, you know, laughing and stuff, but... Like I, I was... People cheered the the torching in my theater. Like I thought people were going to (laughs) start clapping and, and... I'm a little surprised that nobody did. Yeah, and then Tex gets his his dick bit off by the dog. <laughs> what is? How did he actually die, though? I forget. Did he? Um, he didn't get shot, did he? No, because the girl gets her face smashed, <laughs> takes the gun into the pool, and shoots yeah. shoots it off a bunch of times. And then I forget. Now I I think he face he he stomps on his face. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then the other girl gets attacked by the dog, and then uh, Leo's she wife stabs comes. Brad Pitt. Yeah, and then uh, is that no? That was the the red haired one that did that. It was the black haired one that mm-hmm. I remember you. It's your white face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the one that ends up in the pool. Yeah, and uh, I was trying to remember when they were talking about the flamethrower earlier. Did he mention that he still had it? I can't remember. I don't think so. I can't remember if he mentioned like, because he's talking about all the training he did with it. And yeah, you know, that fucking thing's hot. And I know he, he mentioned he, the practice. Yeah, I still got the thing in store, you know. I, I don't, I don't remember it. if they said that either. 
it's not a big leap. Is there any for him to? Is there any way we could turn that heat down? It's a, a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Leo is on like the fifth margarita since he got home, and uh, well, I guess he was just drinking out of the pitcher. Yeah, you know, and he's chilling in the pool listening to some. They were shit faced when they got home. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He just busts out, and she just walks right into the pool. Oh yeah, she got punched in the face, didn't she? Because her nose is broken. Yeah, well, she was the one she got smashed in the fireplace, and then she crawled out. I don't remember. Because the red-haired one was the one that he smashed her face until she died. Yeah. But she's just flipping out in the pool. She doesn't know what's going on. She can't see. Yeah, that that was the only thing where I was like, he's torturing. I'm like, just duck. <laughs> you're, in wa- you're in a pool. Yeah. Get underneath the water. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she was so disoriented, apparently. I mean, she's shooting the gun up in the air. Well, I'm sure she she couldn't see. She couldn't breathe because mm-hmm. her nose is fucked up. She, uh, yeah, she didn't know where she was. She was probably concussed. And then she was on fire. Then we find out that Sharon Tate was a big uh, Rick Dalton fan. Yeah. I like how nonchalant he was. Like, oh, there's some hippies here, and they broke in, and then... Uh, I think we're good. You know, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, and that's the catalyst that is going to allow Rick to become a leading man once again because the gate's open. Right. And he's led into the upper echelons of the Hollywood community once again. It's a happy Still can't end. drive, though. <laughs> it's a happy ending. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add? Other than don't walk out on this fucking movie? Yeah. God. No, it's it's definitely worse than being in the theater. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, there's there's a, uh, after they kill all the hippies, uh, Neil Hirsch's character says, uh, hey, or something, or hello, or what's going on, or something. I thought that was somebody in the theater answering their phone. Because it was like, it came from the back, le- right portion of the yeah. theater. I'm like, who the fuck is... And I'm like, oh wait, that was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of caught me off guard, mm-hmm. but definitely uh, a fun film. Yeah, I know what part you're talking about too. It's like, who has an old ringer on their phone? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I didn't hear the phone ring, but I heard something answer. Like, why are you? Because it was quiet, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody was like paying attention to listening and they're like why are you answering your phone now <laughs> like hey yeah oh, i'm at the movies <laughs> <laughs> all right we will check you later guess we'll see you around all right check you later bye wait man why are you always such a dork man what are you talking check about check you later check you later <laughs> hey man you off my case